What's up, everybody? This is Grant at Cause Artist. Welcome to episode 40 of the Disruptors for Good podcast. Today, we have Jen Lewis, the founder of Person Clutch, which is a ethical fashion brand based in Austin um, that works with artisans around the world in places such as Guatemala, Mexico, and Ethiopia. Our conversation is great. We touch on a lot of different things of along her eight-year journey of building her brand and uh, you know what it's like to, to really work with artisans around the world and, and visit them and, and see how they work and see what our purchases do for a community, for a person, for a family. We also talk a little bit about her time in Honduras when she went to teach chemistry in Honduras, which is you know, a very, very odd thing, but she, she really wanted to see if she was going to pursue a teaching career and see if she was going to pursue that passion that she had at the time and how that sort of set the stage for her to start Person Clutch and start her her company in Austin. So I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Again, as always, if you have any questions, just uh, hit me up, grant at causeartist.com. I'm going to make this intro a little short, feeling a little, a little under the weather today. So I'm going to let you guys listen to the conversation. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Next week is going to be an amazing, amazing week. I'm, I'm happy. I'm going to be able to finally announce some things that I've been working on for, for the past, you know, few months, really half a year. Um, so it's it's going to be fun to finally announce that and, and get your feedback and, and hopefully um, really start to to grow cause artists in a new and different way. So it's going to it's going to be great. I can't wait. So uh, stay tuned for that next week and hope you guys have a great week. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. I like to start usually with a person's journey and, and how they get to the point where they are, right, where they want to not necessarily maybe take a leap, but, you know, really take take their their lives in a direction where they feel passionate about and it is. I mean, it is a big step to say, okay, I really, I want to start a social enterprise, right? I mean, that's a, mm-hmm. it's a big deal. Um, so what was your journey like? Do you want to start maybe after you got your master's degree? It seems like it was soon after that, that you started uh, Person Clutch. <laughs> yes. Yes. I definitely stumbled into it. It was never that like intentional decision. Cause I don't think I ever would have made it because it is, it's a huge thing to, to take on both the responsibility and the creative mm-hmm. aspect and I really, I don't think I would have ever done it. But yes, after grad school, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, which, you know, is maybe a little bit backwards of what you're supposed to do <laughs> and why you go to grad school. Um, but I'd just gotten a master's in leadership and ethics, knew I wanted to do something in the nonprofit world, kind of always knew that, which is why I did get that master's. So moved to Austin and was starting to work at a nonprofit where we were partnering with um, the, the homeless. Okay. And we were working in people's backyards to uh, build gardens. And then we would sell the produce at the farmer's market. And so it was this like really interesting community that we were working on creating. And I saw the impact of a job, right. um, both in terms of like making money, because that's important, but even more so the dignity that kind of came with like what I'm doing is valuable. And they, you know, a lot of the a lot of the homeless workers would come with us and they would see people buying their produce and getting excited about what they had helped create. And it just, it really did. It brought this kind of, kind of dignity. And I feel like that's kind of where things started to, to kind of get started in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so around the same time, one of my good friends from grad school had moved to India and was working with women and men who were doing kind of the traditional Indian block print. Okay. But they were saying, instead of, instead of this, like, paisley although paisley is totally back now but like instead of this like <laughs> traditional paisley like indian print 
what if we did something that had the the final consumer in mind, knowing mm. that they wanted to sell goods to women in the United States? And I feel like the business part of my brain like clicked and was like, yes, of <laughs> course. Like whenever you start a business, you have to ask your customer what what they want. And so I loved that idea of using these indigenous techniques and really being able to um, to preserve in a lot of ways these really incredible techniques that were starting to kind of um, dissipate because there was no market for them. So started kind of working with my friend on the side as I was doing the nonprofit work in Austin. She would just say there was like a line out the door of people waiting to work and they just needed wow. to sell more products. And, and you know, the, 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 the need for jobs was just incredible. And I thought, you know, that's something I had seen too. So decided to kind of test it out. I think I sent her a check for like $500 and said like, if this is a donation, like it's a worthy cause. Right. Send me all the handbags that you had. And I chose handbags totally randomly. My thought was like, there's a, it's a little bit more of a, a need, you know, like you got to carry your stuff in something right. Right. <laughs> versus, um, you know, versus just creating something just to create it. Although I know it's handbags are not a need. Like I don't really <laughs> deeply believe that, but not just consuming for consuming sake. So sure, sure. yeah, started kind of partnering with them and, um, we had a shipment that got stuck in customs and I was kind of like, oh, well, that's my, pro that's my product. This is not a good business model. <laughs> so I started looking for other artisan groups that I could partner with to kind of like, in some ways, like subsidize what I was doing. And there was a group based in Austin. Um, the founder was from India originally had moved to Austin. And so I got to actually like talk and meet with the founder oh, and find great. out yeah. that like the ethics were something that I really believed in. Without having to like go to India because right. I'm working in a nonprofit job and not really making sure. enough money to take time off or fly across the world, unfortunately. So yeah, so kind of ended up as a boutique accidentally. So it was curating items, you know, in, in 2011, 2012, it was like either ethics or fashion. It was mm -hmm. definitely not, there was not a lot of overlap. There was not. So yeah, 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 for sure. Would, you know what I mean? I mean, this group would make like a thousand different items. And I would say these two, these two are classic. These two are products that I feel like they stand on their own. And so continued to look for more and more artisan groups that I felt like I could trust and that I could partner with. And then about five years ago, decided I was ready to start doing my own production. And so mm -hmm. partnering a little bit more directly with an artisan and saying, you know, here's a sketch. What do you, you know, what do you got? <laughs> what can you do? What are you amazing at? And kind of started with that uh, design collaboration. So we started with a group out of Ethiopia that I had connected with and then expanded to a group in Guatemala. And now we've been working with a group in Mexico for about a year. So it's definitely iterated and changed in every group we work with. I feel like I learned so much more about what we're doing and what's effective and what's helpful. And then we kind of shift everything and, and figure out how to best serve, you know, both the artisan and the, the customer that we're making items for. How did you find the groups that you work with? Was it just through connections through the founder that was from India that was in an Austin? Did he, he or she introduce you to other groups of artisans around the world? Or did you just research on your own and kind of just tackle that individually? Yeah, you know, it's such a... <laughs> It's such a random way that I have found any of the groups. <laughs> Always is. Um, it's, a, it's a great question. I know, right? It's like kind of networking, but like internationally in a weird way. So the woman who oversees the, um, the leather workers in Ethiopia, which was the first group that we worked with, 
she had been partnering with one of the brands that I had been purchasing from mm, gotcha. and they had decided to kind of take their, their leather work more in house and not do kind of the white label setup that they had. Mm -hmm. And so I got an email that said something like, I'm going to be in the country. Would you like to grab coffee? And I was like, oh man, this is, this is sketchy. Like I, I like almost ignored it. Like it was like so yeah. simple. And so I, I ended up, I emailed back and I said, you know, if you're going to be in Austin, Texas, right, right. Um, this part of the country, you know, we can grab coffee. And I chose the place. And it ended up just being an amazing, an amazing connection. So she was in town because she was a bridesmaid in a wedding. I mean, that random. And she was um, in Austin so or she went somewhere else and, and then she traveled? Was, yeah. No, she was in Austin. Uh, oh, wow. Once she had a roommate from, you know, that had moved to Ethiopia um, that came back to, you know, to Austin to get married. Um, wow. So pretty, ra pretty random connection. But the conversation was amazing because she was saying, you know, we have at the time, um, we have nine artisans. So like, we're not looking to produce thousands of bags. Like she's not right. trying to connect with Madewell. She just wants to like figure out like, can, is this something that's sustainable? Like, can we, can we grow along with a brand with five brands so that we don't have a huge order and we have to hire a bunch of people and yeah. then we don't get yeah. an order. And so then we so have to fire people. Off every, and yeah. Is that really, yeah. Is that responsible community development? And I was like, that is exactly what I'm looking for on my end, I don't want to order a thousand bags. Right. I want to try 10 and see what my customer <laughs> says and try stuff out. And I want to wear it and see how my laptop fits and, and make designs and tweaks and changes. So a couple of months later, I, I got to go to the capital to Addis Ababa and got to meet with her. And she connected me with the nonprofits that she partners with to find the leather workers. And it was just an amazing experience. And so very serendipitous. So that was the first group that we worked with. Yeah. I that's, started overseeing. Uh... Yeah, totally random. It's not like I got I got to go to like a trade show, although I did get to go to a trade show in uh, Guatemala a couple of months ago and was like, oh, this is so much easier. <laughs> like you just like walk and see what people are capable of and <laughs> shake hands and, and say, this is pretty. I'll take this. Yeah, no, it's, so it's, it's email is now. email is crazy how, you know, I, I was it was so funny right before we got on the phone we was talking to somebody from from asia had just hit me up on on linkedin it was like you know blah blah let's hop on a call or whatever right it was just like it, it's really it's really amazing you know you just never know who you can connect yeah. with and, and and what that you know that person wants to tell you right or, or opportunity that that may come but i think the one thing i always like to to add upon is is travel right and, and you know, gets out of their comfort zone, although you were going for a purpose, which I think when you do something with intention, it's always a bit powerful, no matter where you go. But how was that experience going to Ethiopia, meeting the women, kind of seeing uh, the production side, kind of seeing the community side of what something like this does to, to a, a small community, something like this is very, it's very powerful, it basically it can make the community sustainable. Yeah, you know, it was really, I think it was really important that I went. I mean, and like you said, seeing things firsthand was really impactful. And I, I mean, I'd been in the community development nonprofit world enough. I lived in Honduras for about a year. So I feel okay. like I had seen the effect of the community development side. What, what I found to be the most helpful was to watch the conditions that people were making the bags under. Mm -hmm. um, and by that, I mean, you know, there's, 
rolls of leather. There's five people in basically a living room um, <laughs> and then watching them make the product from start to finish. You know, the, there's women that would that would sew and then they would, you know, by hand tie off the end of the thread and then get a lighter and burn it. So I feel like seeing how slow the process was and how hard it was to get zippers and hardware. Then when I get an order in and it's wrong or it's, you know, or something's off, I feel like I have so much compassion because it's kind of amazing what they can make with the limited resources that they have. Mm-hmm. I think had I not gone, I would have had a very different expectation of of a little bit more Western mindset. Like I ordered this bag and this bag should be here. And, you, you know, there shouldn't be any less. There shouldn't be any mistakes in the leather like this. You know, I think I just would have had a lot less compassion versus, you know, watching all of the the detailed handmade steps that go into it. I feel like I, I can better articulate even to our customer, like scratches in the leather are normal. And here's where right. they come from and being able to actually talk yeah. about it. So because because I you know had already seen a lot of the the developmental side, I feel like it was really the the production side that I hadn't seen, and that was really eye opening and really you know what they send me now I'm like floored by. And the sure. same with our our group in in Mexico, it's like the more process that I can see, the more I understand. You know when I design something that like actually adding a small. <laughs> a small metal ring to this so that people can clip on their keys. Mm. That's a disaster. Like, don't ask for that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like that's a mean request. And I wouldn't have known had I not spent more time on the production side of things. (laughs) (laughs) Was it the, was it the same type of flow when you reached out and, and sort of got artisans in Mexico and Guatemala? Was it the same sort of randomness or was that more of a, a different approach to, to work with artists and groups there. Yeah. You know, it was a different kind of randomness, of course. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so with um, the group, we're actually, we're not working with the same group out of Guatemala that we had initially started with, but I was doing kind of some business consulting with a woman um, in Arkansas that I got connected to from the, um, the Dean at my graduate business school. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we would Skype every month or so. And she would tell me how she was, working on running this production line and had these women in rural Guatemala that were, you know, starting with raw cotton and they were spinning the cotton into thread. Mm -hmm. And then when the thread was done, they would hand it off to um, other, other Mayan women who would then botanically dye the thread and they would hand it off to then another group of women in another town who would weave the fabric. And then a final group of women who would do all the cutting and sewing. And so she was a designer. I mean, she just thought of a thousand beautiful ideas and like wanted it to be to be made like a true artist. My undergrad background is in chemistry. And so I wanted to, like, I was like, <laughs> let me like give you a huge flowchart and streamline everything. And so as we continued having these conversations, she um, kind of said, do you want to take over production? <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa we were just going to maybe buy some bags from you and you know, put them <laughs> on our website. But then in the same conversation, by the end of it, I was like, absolutely. I think I want to take that on. And again, like understand the details of production and what it takes and even how to calculate how much of each thread color we need to make the fabric that we need. And so really got into the weeds as well as figuring out what do you do when an artisan hands off a piece of fabric that has dirt all over it. Mm. And Honestly, how could it not have dirt all over it? They're working in a dirt floor. They're working outside. But 
I can't produce the final product. So then our, you know, our, we are our seamstresses don't have work that week because we didn't have the right fabric. So we had to figure out those kind of things. Like what is the fair and compassionate way to, to have high standards. And if that means we need to build a, you know, a workshop where the weavers are, if that means we need right. to buy big tarps, if that, you know, like what, how do we solve this problem? So I feel like I really got to get into the, like the, the depths of production and um, they had already really set up the production team. There was another woman that was really overseeing production. And so I got to kind of, you know, partner alongside of her. They had another woman on the team who lived, lived near um, where the seamstresses were. And then when the woman who lived in Guatemala, when she decided it was time for her to move back to the States, that's when I realized we have to have someone on the ground there. So I was able to find work for the different women in the production with other companies um, and decided that that, I, that was maybe too much to oversee all of production <laughs> and to have yeah. a final part. I think I opened a retail store at the time and I oh, was wow. five months pregnant. It was like everything yeah. was like too, too much. So I was working, you know, all of my focus is on production. And then we get these beautiful bags and I haven't tried to sell them. No one knows that they exist. Right, right, um, right, right. So, you know, and I, you know, I, hindsight, I could look back, like I could have hired someone to do that. But, you know, you don't always think of those things when you're in the weeds and, and trying to kind of just keep things afloat. So, so we've kind of shifted back to what, um, what we do, I think, best is partnering with someone who's already on the ground, usually mm -hmm. someone who's from that area. Yeah. Um, so with our Mexico group, um, there was a woman, Maria, who was in Austin and she had started a brand, excuse me, she's from Chiapas, Mexico originally. And she was in Austin, I think with an aunt and uncle trying to get this brand off the ground. And she was doing more um, embroidery work on like vintage or, or thrift store clothing. And it was really, really cool stuff. But so she was like, she had met these leather workers and she was starting to work with them, but her customer wasn't really interested in leather. It was like a different product. So we had a market, like a, you know, a, a Christmas market and her booth was next to mine. And we just ended huh. up talking and she kind of was saying, what do I, you know, what do I do with these five leather workers? They're really talented. They've got great stuff. And now I can't really hire them. And I was like, well, I could. Yeah. Right. Um, let's make this work. So she ended up moving back to Chiapas full time to kind of take her company in a different direction. And, and now, you know, we Skype and WhatsApp and can have great conversations. And she goes down to the leatherwork workshop and she tells me what's working and what's not, and can kind of be that liaison of, you know, between production and, and design. And it ends up being this like really beautiful combination of I've really both cultures in an interesting way. So again, like totally random. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's usually kind of what beautiful things happen, right? Is, is randomness, you know, it's <laughs> it usually, so. usually when you just kind of follow what you want to do, right. And which things you're passionate about, mm -hmm. things tend to fall into place in, mm -hmm. in some sort of fashion, yeah. no yeah. pun intended, but I want to go back to um, <laughs> your time in Honduras. With, yeah. You said that was before you started anything, right? This was when you were mm -hmm. after grad school and working with a nonprofit. Is that right? So it was actually, it was right after I graduated from undergrad. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. I, so I got my degree in chemistry uh, because I liked chemistry. Like really a lot of people. <laughs> what a nerd. <laughs> Such a nerd. And I didn't ever look, I mean, and maybe no one does this, but 
I didn't look to see what jobs you could get with chemistry. I was just like, oh, this I'm is sure fascinating. a ton, like, though, right? How I mean, things work on like, oh, yeah. my goodness. I was yeah, like, well, I don't want to be a pharmacist. Like, maybe I could do research, but like, that was not what I was looking into. I say nerd um, with the best love because I'm jealous that, you know, it, that's oh, just yeah. one thing no, that you that just. I that as a compliment. It's, it's, I said it before, but it's the only class I've ever, I've ever failed was in high school. Was, oh, no. Uh, chemistry, biology, all that. That I just never, it never, I never got comprehended with. But anyway, anyway, so go ahead. I feel like it's like how your mind works. And I feel like in the same way that like I can't come up with a thousand new ideas on something, I like streamline. It's like I think in terms of. of I think it's one of those things where it's, it's taught the same to the masses. And I think if, if there was a way where it could got, it could get, it could get taught to me like different where, where the way I could mm-hmm. comprehend it, right. That's look, we're going down an educational path here, but like, that's sometimes like, I feel <laughs> like with those subject matters, it's more like you have to understand how the child learns and then teach them that way. Totally. And then that is what mm-hmm. they can understand it. But when it's just taught one way to 20 kids in a classroom, it's, there's just going to be people left behind. There's just no, there's no way around it. Right. And, yeah, I totally get it. Totally. Right, it's not anybody's fault. It's just how it is. But anyway, yeah. so so chemistry yeah. degree, and you go to yeah. Honduras for for so what reason? Wanted, just to go? Well, so I knew I wanted to do something in again, like the nonprofit community development world with my chemistry degree. I was like, huh, there's not huh. a ton of overlap. So yeah, I was thinking I would maybe pursue a master's in um, in nutritional studies. I was like, something like that maybe could be an interesting overlap. But yeah. one of my professors had um, found out about this opportunity to teach high school chemistry in Honduras hmm. for a year. They just needed someone to kind of come and fill in. Um, the current chemistry teacher was was leaving for a year, but was planning on coming back. And I was like, you know, why not go and, yeah. and see yeah. if I really do want to live in Central America, see what I think about this before I, yeah. you know, go get another degree and figure it out. So I was like, <laughs> sure, let's do it. Which my parents, oh my gosh, I'm sure. I'm like, what are you thinking? So I was in Tegucigalpa, which I think at the time was the murder capital of Central America. Okay. Um, my mom was like, I'm just not looking at the news. Like, I don't want to know anything. Sure, sure. Like, good, like, good luck. And I I mean, I didn't know how to teach. I mean, speaking of education, like, I feel sorry for my students sometimes because I, I just thought everyone would love chemistry. I mean, how could you not? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like right. dream teacher, right? Where I'm like assuming that people think it's fascinating, but I'm like. <laughs> doing all these experiments and like you know they don't want to pay attention they don't care so the teaching part was a little bit of a disaster but i did get to volunteer at a lot of different local organizations and church organizations and you know would see things like um i would i worked out at this nutrition center that was feeding children and you know people would you know a church would come in or a not you know a a a government a nonprofit would come in and say Oh, none of the kids are wearing shoes. Let's bring shoes next week. And so they would bring shoes. Mm. And then the week after the kids didn't have shoes again and they didn't understand where the shoes went and that they were selling them for food because that sure. was way more important. Yep. Or like, a, um, you know, a college group would come in and they would do arts and crafts with the kids and they would do, they'd make tambourines with paper plates and beans. Well, the kids don't have food and you're making art with, right. with the food that they don't have. Um, so I feel like I saw it kind of, with the very best of intentions, people um, kind of messing things up. So I feel like that was a really substantial foundation for me, like I said, of like seeing this community development, seeing like 
what do people need? Like their parents need a job. They, you know, they need a way to be able to buy these shoes and to buy food and to buy the uniforms so that the kid can go to school. And I believe there is absolutely a place for, for donations, um, but figuring out how to do that really well. And so I think it made me really cautious, which I think is why it's taken me eight years to get to the point where we like, I have three or four artisan groups that I feel like we're really diving into. And I take it pretty seriously when we decide we're going to, you know, partner and connect with another group, because I know that I know the social impact that it can have. And I think I would rather err on the side of being too careful because it's, it's someone's livelihood and it's someone's life. And the fact yeah. that I even have an input in it is scary and incredible. Yeah. And, yeah. um, definitely a, a pretty big responsibility. So I think I saw a lot of those things when I was in Honduras. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great point you make is people depend on, you know, you doing a really good job, right? Yeah. And and it's, uh, it can be overwhelming for sure. I can't, I can't really imagine because I love the respect that you, you kind of, and patience that you had of like, look, if we're going to build this, let's build it right. And let's try to build it where you know, we could be here for a generation. So mm-hmm. there's at least there's some type of a backbone that a family can have and, and sort of like a leader in their family to see, hey, this is how we be sustainable as a family as a community, right? To just see that work ethic that your mom and dad has, right? Or, or something like that mm-hmm. to where they're and then and then they're also hopefully maybe passing that skill set on, right? Totally. So having skills is mm-hmm. such a is such an amazing thing uh, for anybody to have, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's what really separates people from poverty, extreme poverty, middle class. It's, mm-hmm. it's really just having a skill set to even be employable, right, on some level in somewhere in some business sector. So mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, I know it, it's taken a while, right? And I'm sure it's, <laughs> it's, it's been stressful and, and, and you've had some joyful moments and sad moments, but I think that <laughs> the approach is, is one I think everybody, you know, maybe should learn to take a little bit from it is that it's, if you're trying to build something, build a brand, build it for that you want it to last for a hundred years, you know, rather than Mm -hmm. trying to build something up because you want to sell it in five years, like for a profit, right? I think that's what traditional, you know, startups and companies have, have wanted to do is, is kind of that, you know, create a business to flip it and sell it. Right. And it's, I think, you obviously yeah. have taken the time and care to build something that that's a that you want to you know be lasting and sustainable for you know for for families and communities and and your consumers too right yeah well and there is there's definitely that friction that i feel especially in austin it's like tech startup world yeah Everybody's, for sure yep. you know, building things as fast as they can and it let's raise two million dollars to build this because we want to sell yes. it in ten- yeah totally, totally. No, it's exactly and you know early on i kind of looked into like do i want to do i want investors do i want to you know raise any sort of funding rounds and i feel like i looked at the business model and was like there's no way right. any sane investor yeah. should ever yeah. take this on because i'm not gonna flip them a, a huge profit even in 10 years, I don't see that being the case. But that's that's always um, what I, when I talk to people in, in the investing world, right? It, it's like, look, you're putting a million dollars into this, right? Or, or 300 grand mm-hmm. into something that you want to return on. But you're also, maybe you give, you're giving, you know, 10, 20 grand in philanthropy a year or something like that. It's yeah. like, well, look at these other companies and, and, and brands that are like, instead of giving maybe, 300,000 to a company, maybe give like 
two hundred and seventy five thousand, and then use that other twenty five thousand to fund stuff like this, right? Where it's it's right. a long term process, but it's it's general it's trying to build you know generational communities and and sustainability mm-hmm. that it's. I think it's hard for some people to grasp, but when you go on the ground and see it, um, I think that's what changes it. And I think if we can get more investors to understand how like far like 10 grand can go, right? I think that gets lost in in, in some things. It's like 10 grand can like start a business and like actually like change people's (laughs) lives for a very long time. No, absolutely. Because there's, we get so many opportunities to do like a large, like a large run of production that would be an incredible opportunity, you know, like with some of these mm-hmm. like subscription boxes, right? Right. Totally. It's like we, how could we ever get that sort of upfront capital to both produce those items and then wait for the return for six months unless we had some sort of funding? Um, and yes, yeah, it is. I think you're totally right on that. Like what a lot of VCs would see as a small amount could actually have a pretty big impact because sometimes you can just take that one, you know, if I could get into this subscription box, you know, the marketing, the brand awareness, the not to mention the the job opportunities that we would right. be able to sustain in the meantime. And it really it could have a, a pretty big a pretty big impact for sure. So when you got back from Honduras, did you did you fall out of love with chemistry at all? Was it, you know, did 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 you think that you weren't passionate about it anymore and that maybe you you saw that that your life was probably going to go into a different direction? I think so. I mean, I I love the the skills that chemistry has given me in terms right. of how to think and how to organize data and how to process. And I think that that's something that I I kind of take with me and kind of makes me a different sort of founder, especially in the fashion world. Like I'm yeah. not the I didn't really yeah. carry a handbag before I started Persian Clutch. <laughs> I mean, that's weird. So I think I I still really appreciate the skills that that process gave me, but I didn't see a clear path to development. Because I think I realized even if I had gone into some sort of nutritional you know, studies, it would still be an outside organization coming in versus yeah. the need for jobs and really just seeing the effect that that can have long-term like we were talking about. So I think my kind of mission or my driving purpose had always sort of been to, to, to try to find ways to to do this sort of community development. Because I mean, I grew up, I grew up in Dallas and in East Texas um, to a, I mean, we were certainly not wealthy, but I didn't have to worry about if I was going to have a place to sleep. I didn't have to worry about mm-hmm. even safety issues. I mean, I lived on a a lovely neighborhood where we rode bikes and played soccer. And I mean, it was just, I had like a really idyllic childhood. And when you see the effect that childhood has, it's hard to, it's hard to not do everything you can to give other people the opportunity to have that sort of safety. So I feel like that's kind of always been a driving factor of, of how to figure, how to figure out how to have an impact in that space. Um, Yeah, that was my, that was going to be my other question was how, do you see a place in where chemistry affects or you can use chemistry now, right? Sort of in the fashion world and production. Mm-hmm. I know you, you kind of hit on sort of, you know, your approach to to data collection and, and sort of mm-hmm. production. And, and is there, do you see anything going forward that, because look, I mean, you're going to be learning all the time, right? That, that's always, mm-hmm. always going to be, be a thing. But do you see a place where your chemistry background will be, 
be effective? Are you, are you seeing more ways where you can implement those skills into into person clutch? Hmm, that's super interesting to think about. I haven't thought about that. Um, I mean, on a really specific level, when we were working with botanical dyes, I feel like it was a really fascinating, mm. like, let's figure out, you know, whenever you do dry this in the sun, like, is there a way to figure out how many hours of direct sunlight you need so that we're not behind on production in the rainy season? Or mm. um, I think I, I found myself really drawn to those kinds of things while also wanting to be really careful about not coming into this ancient indigenous like art form and saying, let me monetize this. Let me structure it. Like that kind of takes away some of the art and some of the beauty of it. So trying to find that balance, but I definitely found myself drawn to that aspect um, that I found the other women on my team were like, what, like what? I would have never, <laughs> would have never thought to systematize this. But then I do think I, I approach design in terms of data. Um, yeah. I don't design a bag because I think it's beautiful or interesting. Like I look and I see customers are asking for something with a laptop and seeing a lot of this like circle shape. Like what if we did a, a huge mm. shoulder bag that's a laptop case that you can, you know, that you could carry with you every day. So I feel like I do a lot of that kind of research. I do a lot of research on, you know, I flip through magazines and like add a, a post-it note whenever I see mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. certain color, you know, color combinations and I'm not like, in, I don't go to the art museum and inspired by pictures. I'm inspired by like the data behind things, which I think has its pros and cons. But I do think that that's one thing that can set us apart as a company because I'm approaching design in just a really, really different way. And I think that's because of my, my science background. So almost, almost a decade in now, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's <laughs> when you, <laughs> and I guess we could, we could sort of end on, end on this is that you know when you go when you do anything for almost 10 years right i mean you're gonna you're gonna learn so much you're gonna do so many things wrong you're gonna do some things right <laughs> but hopefully mostly probably well yeah yeah i mean mostly you this the first five, five years is probably just like all learning right and, yeah, and trying to understand totally. <laughs> how things work <laughs> and what you what can, you can do better so what I, I think there's there's such a there's such there's such a great education in those 10 years, right, you almost kind of got your PhD a little bit in, yeah. uh, you know, production and, and fashion, <laughs> and, and how sort of to, to modernly, you know, create uh, a modern social enterprise, right, that, that spans across borders and things like that. And it's global distribution and, and how we use technology to talk to people and make sure the products right from far away, right? It's such a, it's such a crazy kind of world. So what has, what have you learned over the last 10 years and, and, and any advice you can give to somebody that maybe wants to do something similar eventually in their life? The longer I'm in this, the more I'm realizing how you just have to keep the big picture in mind. Mm -hmm. Like our, you know, normally December is our big sales month, right? It's like the holidays, like we, you know, produce a bunch, we do markets, we do shows. Mm -hmm. And this December, I, you know, got sick. It's like every weekend I caught the flu from my daughter somehow and like couldn't go to these markets and couldn't manage our employee. And, and it was a pretty bad December. And it's so easy, even like eight years in to say, what's the point? No one likes my yeah. product. I'm working, you know, so hard for, for nothing. And then, you know, and then January comes around and we've had the best January we've ever had and things are great. And, yeah. and then it's so easy to say, everything I'm doing is working and this is fantastic. And it's always going to be, you know, everyone's <laughs> going to always get what we're doing. And you just ping up and down and up and down. And 
and it's exhausting and it's not sustainable. So I feel like even, you know, even if it's, you know, high highs or low lows, if there's any way to, you know, just take that step back and never look at one month. Um, I just saw from uh, Bethany Tran, the founder of the Root Collective, she was uh-huh. just mentioning, I think on Facebook, it's like, you can't ever just look at one month at a time, because if you do, you will either explode or implode, like it's, <laughs> it's too much. So I think I'm working on and would highly recommend if there's any way to just take a step back, see that big picture, try, because you have to be, you have to be emotionally involved, because if you're not passionate about it, of course, what's yeah. the point? Why are you doing it? Right, right. But if there's a way to kind of to kind of ride those ride those waves that's been really important and then i would say finding a group of of like-minded individuals so mm-hmm. we have a group i mean austin is really such yeah. a great place like yeah. you were mentioning of, for social enterprise and we have a group of ethical fashion business owners and i coordinate a, a quarterly meetup and we sit and we talk about i think that it kind of helps with like seeing the big picture we talk about what's working what's not what markets were fantastic what new designs are coming and then even as practical as like, oh, you're shipping from Chiapas, Mexico. I am too. If we bulk shipped, we could save, we right. could save prices. And or you know, what do we do with this with this quality control issue that we're having? So I think having people that get it <laughs> on a really specific level. I mean, yes, I could talk to other business leaders, but the fact that I'm talking to other people who are doing production in other countries with the social impact um, business model has been really invaluable. Um, I think it, it kind of helps just kind of uh, give you that lens and that reminder. Cause I, you know, I look and I see what they're doing and I'm like, what they're doing is incredible. I'm like, oh wait, we're doing the same thing. <laughs> Maybe I should, you know, cut myself some slack and not just see the negatives. And I think it, again, it like helps with that big picture mindset to, to just to have a really open community that you can do things with so that you're not just at it alone. Yeah, no, that's a, I think that's a, a beautiful statement. Because I think the one thing that I love about the community and sort of the industry that we're in, it's very collaborative rather than competitive. Yes, I yes. mean, I think, I think they'll, they'll, they'll always look, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you have to, to make sales to be sustainable. Right. But I think the, yeah, the difference is, is that, you know, the mission and looking at what you need to do to be sustainable is much different than, you know, what, like public companies need to look at quarterly earnings and look at all this stuff and they have, Mm -hmm. how do we beat our competition, right? How do we do all these things where we get the upper leg? And it's, it's such a different and refreshing way to look at business as a collaborative thing, even with people who are Mm -hmm. potentially going after the same customers, but it's like, it doesn't matter because I think everybody is in it for the same reason. And I think Mm -hmm. that is why I believe in, in what, you know, the community is doing and, and trying to do and, and the future of it because everybody is in it together in some form or fashion. Yeah. No, that's been my experience too in a, in a really beautiful way. And even, I mean, I feel like as more and more social uh, businesses are popping up, it's, it's good. I mean, it's good, right? Because that means, again, like we're working with more artisans and I'm yeah. finding it's forcing more creativity. So like yeah. a lot of, Oh, there's, I can name four other brands that do leather handbags from Ethiopia that are really similar to our, yeah to our style. So then that forced me to say, okay, then we need a new textile technique yeah. or as we're working with this group in Mexico, like let's really, you know, embrace this new style. Cause I don't see anyone else doing this stuff that we're doing out of Mexico. So let's be more creative. Let's like dream bigger. And then I think we're going to reach a bigger audience because we're forced to be more creative 
And I think that's because there are, there's competition and in the best way, I think it's pushing the quality of, of designs and of production forward, um, which is again, only good for, for everybody, because then maybe someone else that's never thought about how something's made is going to, you know, be exposed to ethical fashion and slow fashion and Maybe yep. they'll change a couple of their buying habits and then, you know, and then that trickles down to other companies. And I, yeah, yeah I, I think the, the innovation, cool the innovation and impact, I think is, is what we're seeing now. And I think that is going to attract more people into more of a, a conscious way yeah. to buy things and look at companies because I think the innovation, because before it was just like, there's no difference really between mm-hmm. a shirt, a shirt made here and a shirt you know, for at like Old Navy, there was not like this, this right. real difference. There wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't the ability to like tell the story correctly and, and understand what qualities are different. Mm-hmm. Look at the person that's making it and how it affects their family life and their local community. And, and it's, uh, and now it's, it's look, you're figuring out like, how do we innovate in the space where um, our impact and what we produce can get get to a broader audience because what we're doing is even is so much different now than you know what these yeah. bigger brands are doing because it's I think it's it's harder for them to to really do with what these small like ethical brands are doing I think they're trying to do it right and that's another mm-hmm. whole another category of of people <laughs> and brands entering this space it's 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 weird to see and I'm interested to say to to see when you guys are in your your circles talking to one another if that comes up where that's a if you don't like it or if you if you don't mind like these big sort of companies and brands coming into the sort of quote-unquote ethical sustainable space um mm-hmm. if that sort of you know you roll your eyes at that or if if you know the, <laughs> the group you talk with is like this is a good thing or if it's a bad thing right you know i mean i feel like there's some skepticism um, around, is it greenwashing? Is it, you know, if, if they're truly working to, to, you know, have better supply chain management and having better, you know, environmental impact. Um, great. Fantastic. I Mm -hmm. think my biggest concern is that someone's slapping on a, an ethical fashion label, but they're not really doing it ethically. And then that's going to come out. I mean, people always find out eventually. Mm -hmm. And, and then, then the word ethical fashion or whatever label they put on there yeah. now it doesn't have any meaning and I have no way to describe what I'm doing in like a short, yeah. a short yeah. way. So I feel like if they're doing it well, fantastic. Let's join them. Like let's, let's have a line at target, Let you know, which I've yeah. seen more and more of, you know, like let's be a part of that. Let's do a special collaboration with Madewell. But it, it, I think the concern is that because they're so big and I think sometimes it's unintentional. Um, yeah. I think oftentimes you know, it ends up being, there's a large order at a factory. And so they hand it off to another factory. And, you know, that's not necessarily the the large brand's fault. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine trying to organize that sort of supply chain. But mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, as long as they're doing well, like, let's celebrate it. Let's be a part of it. Because then as a consumer, too, it's hard to shop ethically. Like, I get yeah. exhausted looking at toothpaste options and sure. I want, you know, I want to be able to go to my local grocery store yeah. and point. have, you know, amazing ethical options as a consumer. So like, yes, like let's move everything in that direction, but let's make sure it's, it's true. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jan. It was, it was awesome. I'm glad we got to, glad we got to do this and it's going to be, I can't wait to see the creativity that, 
that comes out of of the products and and just uh you know it's it's great to see the the longevity that you've had so far and and here's to the next uh decade and and hope everything uh goes well and growth is good and and impact is great and you know so i appreciate you you taking the time yeah thank you so much for having me this has been great i appreciate it